I personally got into it because I raced cyclocross for many, many years in Oregon. And I just, just, I'm, I really never, in so many things in my life, I can't ever really commit to just being stuck in a box. And so the constant training on the road and running and swimming wasn't really going to cut it. And so every year uh, in September, really, I'd have my last triathlon of the year, first weekend in September, and then immediately just go over to cyclocross until about into November when that died off uh, in Oregon. This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpre, skincare for athletes. Whether you're in the gym, on the mats, on the road, or in the pool, we protect your skin so you're more comfortable in your own body. To learn more, go to solpre.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today um, is kind of an upgraded version of me. If we were Pokemon, I think he's the evolved version of me. Um, he's a doctoral student in music. He's a pro triathlete racing mostly Xterra, and he's also the club coach, club triathlon coach at ASU. Welcome to the show, Evan Party. Hi, thanks for having me. And we were just, I, I, I was thinking about this earlier um, as I was coming back from the pool this morning, uh, just the, the Pokemon thing. I was just like, uh, you're like doing the, what I like to do, but at a higher level. So I'm like, you're like the, definitely the evolved form, especially the mustache, because I can't grow a mustache like that. <laughs> yeah, this is this is slightly toned down. Uh, it, there was about two weeks ago, it was like Yosemite Sam levels. Um, and my, my wife wasn't as big of a fan of that. So uh, the, uh, this is the this is the arrow version. OK, so I mean, you've got your Prefontaine poster in the background. Are you like trying to channel him? Yeah! Yeah, yeah, no, I, this, this, the pre, the pre poster sits above my, uh, computer. I mean, I went to the University of Oregon, so, you know, pre is pretty much, uh, a demigod in the, for the, not only the university, but the entire state of, uh, a whole, really, what other great sports person has been so, like, born and bred out of the Oregon system, right? It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's pretty much free. Um, yeah, I guess that's part of it. I, I don't know. I just think, I just think in the sport of try, we have a lot of people who look all the same and uh tend to just kind of have the same sort of aesthetic mm -hmm. and so i figured like especially now that i race off-road like the off-road scene's much more uh, wild and uh, crazy so the mustache just fits into that the culture a little bit better <laughs> yeah well i mean does since you're off-road is like aerodynamics playing quite as big a part as it would run road version <laughs> You know, that's a it's a good question, and and, and without getting too technical, I, it, it's it's definitely sticking its you know fingers into the sport. I mean, definitely if you look at UCI mountain bike racing, every everybody's in skin suits, everybody's using like aero road helmets now. Um, I think it's 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 not nearly as big of a factor. Like I, I mean, we're talking, it's probably fifth on the list of things that people would ever come thinking about when they come to performance and. And so in that sense, not really. But at the same time, like a lot, some of the races on the, the bigger races in the Xterra circuit, at least in North America and, and South America, like Oak Mountain, for instance, in Alabama, where you do have like a, a chunky road segment that's fast. I mean, everybody's, you know, getting low, trying to. So I think in that sense, like I usually wear this Aero Road helmet a buddy of mine let me borrow for that race just because why not? Um but yeah, I mean, you feel it. the biggest thing as a triathlete. I just I feel it. I used to feel it. My mustache swimming. That was always mm -hmm. the weird. Like, 
now I, now I like I don't even notice it. When I when I shaved for our wedding uh, in September, I was like, "Whoa, this is super weird. Like the water makes my lip feel cold. I don't like it." <laughs> <laughs> I felt like a shaved walrus. That's, so I did not shave my legs for the longest time because I'm like, it's not like what kind of aerodynamic advantage? Like I I I don't have very hairy legs. So I'm like, am I really going to, like, this is dumb. There's no point in this. And then, you know, Specialized did that study, and it was like, yeah, you do actually save watts. And I'm like, okay, I'll do it. And then getting to the pool, I was like, this is just really odd not having the hair. Like, my coach was, was like, kind of almost psyching me up, like, y'all, it's going to feel great. Like, you're going to feel so slippery in the water. And I was like, I feel feel uneasy more than (laughs) – I mean, I always, I think with, with that, I've, I've like, my legs are a scar-ridden fest. So, uh, you know, I think also just the crashing element <laughs> for keeping them shaved. Like, you know, I mean, when you, when you mountain bike around Arizona, uh, every mistake is punished by blood. I mean, you mm-hmm. don't really get to crash in Arizona and not have blood because it's just so rocky. Uh, so in that sense, like cleaning stuff out <laughs> is a lot easier. And like, you know, that's a, that's a, a consistent and constant fear. So, uh, an, an issue. <laughs> I, I'm kind of going down a rabbit hole, but have you been to, um, the Olympic training center in Colorado Springs? No, I haven't been to Colorado Springs since I was a, a kid. If you have a chance to go, Look at like the Olympic teams. I don't know if it's like the Hall of Fame or it's just like it's just there's a hall that has like photos of all the like past Olympic team members. I think it is the 76 track team has like the most epic hair and facial hair of all oh, the I'm groups that sure. they, they like all look like pre or even more hair. It's it, like every single one of them, and then. Before and after, almost nothing. Just that particular year, everybody was doing it. <laughs> well, I like it. I like it. I like to bring a little flair into the uh, into our current state of uh, triathlon. <laughs> so it, it, I have to ask, because um, I haven't talked to anybody and I actually don't know anybody because it's not my world. But, I mean, how, sure. do, you, how do you get into Xterra? Because, I mean, for mainstream society – triathlon is kind of on its own little thing. And then Xterra is even to me like a subset of that. So it's like, you've really gone down a rabbit hole. We're a fringe of a fringe, right? I mean, triathlon as a whole is, is, is yeah. You ask the average person and they're like, is that the thing in Hawaii? Or they're like, don't you ski and shoot when you do that? So you can, you know, right. You get to two, depending on which geography area of the country you live in. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think I think Xterra, um, yeah. So how how it kind of came into being again, like used to be very reliant on Ironman, right? That's why the World Championship was always kind of uh, a few weeks after Kona to make it so like, oh well, people will hopefully just come to Hawaii, and it used to actually only be two, like come to Hawaii and then stay recover from Ironman and do this weird other thing on mountain bikes and stuff. It was originally called Aqua Terra. Um, on, on, but it's always been on Maui. It's always, it's always been on the West uh, slopes of Maui. Um, 
but as you know, as of course many things like the sports boomed and the specificity has boomed, and so yeah, um, I, I personally got into it because I raced cyclocross for many many years in Oregon, and I just just I, I'm I really never in so many things in my life I can't ever really commit to just being stuck in a box. And so the constant training on the road and running and swimming wasn't really going to cut it. And so every year uh, in September, really, I'd have my last triathlon of the year, first weekend in September, and then immediately just go over to cyclocross until about into November when that died off uh, in Oregon. And then I would then slowly get back into, into try. And so it was a very natural progression for me uh, after I left uh, Oregon to to look into Xterra because there wasn't much in Oregon. I didn't ride mountain bikes, so uh, yeah. So I already had off road experience in in cyclocross, and I had just often taken my cyclocross out, my cyclocross bike out, and done basic single track and just like you know messed around and was like, can I ride this? Sure, I can ride it. <laughs> you know, and so I, I would do all sorts of stuff on a on a drop bar. I was doing stuff on drop bar bikes before it was cool, just so the bike industry and the gravel industry know <laughs> that, uh, yes, people did dumb shit on, on drop bar bikes before gravel bikes were around. Like, you know, so <laughs> I was out riding stupid trails all over town without a, uh, you know, $8,000 specific gravel adventure bike. But um, so I was well versed in that. And then, uh, I don't know, I, I moved here. We have a ton of trails around the area, and I, I got a mountain bike. And I was like, I should do Xterra, and then pretty much quickly fell in love with it, um, even though I was racing a lot, mostly road still. Uh, but, yeah, I think, I think the, the uniqueness of every course is its greatest strength, especially where, where nowadays Ironman is pretty much neutering every course just to be flat and fast and, mm -hmm. and in boring places. So, you know, Xterra is kind of the, uh, I don't know, the thinking man's alternative to Ironman. Every, every single turn of every single off-road course is an infinite number of problems and an infinite number of, you know, great successes through that corner. And that only gets multiplied over, you know, what, 100, 200, 300 turns. And so, you know, uh, to, to, to really hammer my point home, I think, I think Xterra forces a greater mental uh, challenge than any of the other, any road race I've ever done because of that. And then, you know, not only is it just a mountain bike, but you got to go suffer through a trail run, which, which also proves to be a different, you know, set of challenges. Yeah. All the while, your heart rate sitting at like, you know, at Pan American Championships, I hit 190 spikes four times on the run just to get up stuff. You're never going to see that in your in your Ironman athlete. I mean, preferably profile. you're not going to spike that high just because right. the, the race is so right. long. You know, how how long? Well, is a, I mean, how long is an Xterra race for you? Like, do they vary in distance or are they relatively yeah. standard? And again, to go back to my point, every course is highly unique. So, okay. I have the pro uh, Xterra Portland has a pro race and and has a nice pro field, and that course in in Portland took me an hour and 59 minutes and I, and, and the winner was like uh, about 30 seconds ahead of me, 40 seconds ahead of me. So we were right under two with the bulk of the age group field taking about two hours and 40 minutes. Maui, I had a horrible day. I finished in three hours and five minutes and I was, you know, uh, 
back end of the men's pro field. And the winner was like 245-ish, 242. Most age groupers were 340 to 350 to four hours mm-hmm. with a lot, a lot of people coming in over four hours. Uh, and then, so, so that's, that's kind of the spectrum. I mean, you're anywhere from like under two hours to three hours or so. And that's, that's all for the pros and then the age okay. is even wider. So, and again, mileage, mileage of these things differ. Um, Alabama is like a crazy long, uh, 20, I think it's 23 mile mountain bike, which just is, it seems like it never ends out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Beaver Creek is like 12 miles, but oh yeah, it's 12 miles and 3,600 feet straight up. <laughs> so, it, you know, and, and the course is very, and then same in Victoria, Canada is, is like 11 mi- or 11 and a half miles straight up. And then literally like enduro, chunky, awful rock droppy stuff right back on the backside. So it's, it's yeah, very, very, very different courses that, that sort of, you know, sometimes the bike is short compared to the run sometimes the run is like takes forever so again very 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 into very independent courses very independent racing and so so strengths and weaknesses kind of get played out across a very long uh drama as opposed to to being much more in line with what you see on a consistent uh circuit like with iron man for instance mm-hmm. kind of you kind of made me think about two different people i've talked to one is his author uh, he's a travel writer, uh, Will McGough. I spoke to him on episode 28 about his book, Swim, Bike, Bonk. So basically he came from never having done a triathlon at all, a little bit of swimming background, but that's about it, and then prepared and did Ironman in like three months. And in okay. the book, it's like all about his trials and tribulations of trying to make it to the race and does he finish and all this kind of stuff. But one of the things – the attitudes he encountered and you said something that made me think about this is, um, is that like Iron Man isn't what it used to be. You mentioned, you mentioned like Iron Man basically neutering the courses so that they're, they're flat, they're fast. They essentially cater to age group athletes that want to finish, you know, by bringing the difficulty Mm -hmm. down, not having challenging ups and downs and technical courses and all that kind of stuff. Um, it makes me wonder, um, maybe not in totality, but do you share any kind of attitude in terms of like new sport or like different sport in the terms of Xterra or there's a lot of this movement in like the Spartan races right now where they're non-standard courses. Is that more fun than standardized racing? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think unequivocally it's more fun. I think the overall experience generated creates a uniqueness to the event that you did. You, whoever you are, age group, pro, whatever, everybody just wants a sense of community in this world. And nothing will generate that more organically in our sport than a, than a unique race. Let, let me give you a road example. Escape from Alcatraz. Mm-hmm. I think that's the best triathlon I ever did. As a age grouper, as a pro, I, I, I didn't even have that good of a race. I, 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 and as a hyper-competitive person, it's usually like your, your best race is your favorite race in the world, right? Yeah. Like we all know that's true, but most people don't want to admit it. But um, that race is, just stands out to me as a total pinnacle of a great experience that's so linked intrinsically to a location. 
Yes, it just happened to be a horrible federal penitentiary for a while, but you know, we'll look past that sort of thing. Um, but but that that tie into the location where this you feel that the city cares about you just for a couple hours, which it does. I mean, you race Sunday morning. There's a like a veritable armada of boats out on the you know the bay. You swim in this insane location where you look up and you're sighting between you know, Coit Tower and the Golden Gate, right? So it's, it's, it's every step of the way, it's, it's indubitably San Francisco, right? You get out of the swim, you run along uh, through the old Presidio where my, where my father used to work, which was always a, it was a cool experience for him. It was a cool experience for me. You know, that's very tied to that spot. Then you do this bike ride up into the hills and like blah, blah, blah. And people are out in their apartments having coffee, having mimosas, hucking, you know, yelling at you all sorts of stuff right so it's fun it's it's so linked to that spot so that's a race that just is doing it right everything of everybody who does it i've never heard a single word that's like bashed it people will say it's hard because it's hilly as hell and that that run is a veritable death march but that all being said, it creates just an insane buzz. Look, they're they're on like a you know a lottery system, an auction, blah blah blah. So, yeah. So so, so yes, anything that sort of garners um, specific interest in a specific location only helps our sense of community. Um, and I think Xterra also, you know, as I was talking to um, the the president of Xterra a couple of times, as, as, who's just totally an awesome person, and she was saying like, you know, they have a joke. It's like Xterra is the dark side of triathlon, and uh, it really is because because the individual elements of all the courses is sort of an another reflection of kind of what happens in, in that little community. Everything gets built up very very. Uh, tightly. So I guess in a lot of ways, yes, it is like the old grassroots days of try. Um, it's it's very fun. That individuality lends itself to just people enjoying each spot. Um, and so you have less of the, you know, wild push to demand certain consistencies, I suppose. Um, it also it also forces more on the individual in the race, right? Like you're not necessarily guaranteed a uh, easy race on the contrary you're guaranteed a very hard race and you're you know for instance eight stations on the run you're going to do a trail run there might only be three on your 10k and they might not even be that kids you know you're not going to get them at mile two and four you're going to get it at 1.1 and 2.7 and then oh here's one at 3.2 and then you're you don't get any for the rest of the race right Mm -hmm. because it's just the nature of the course so so yeah, I think this pushback and this the the exterior community at large that's that's cultivated by these unique locations and then they're kind of their tours and that idea that like on a, as opposed to Ironman which does not have any national international tour there's no prizes for consistency there's simply prizes for one day performance whereas we condone a whole array of races that then work together to form a tour all of that just lends itself to consistency in terms of in community engagement and people being happy with the product. I, you know, it's, you can, can like consistently talk about a sense of community. And I, sometimes I wonder um, if like the community itself evolves where it's like, 
I kind of think about it like this, like where you are, like, like you mentioned, like kind of grassroots days of triathlon or maybe Xterra now or Spartan races um, or just like more niche sports. It's like these people do it. Like, what did you say? You did, did you, I'm probably paraphrasing, but not quoting you. I think you said you did dumb shit on drops before. Like there were specialized oh, bikes. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like, there's that, that ideal where it's like, Hey, let's just go do some dumb shit and have a good time. And then let's make it into a race. And then that's a community. And then somebody like, then you start getting, those are early adopters basically. And then you start getting people that are like, well, that sounds cool. Or like they bring their own objective to it. And then slowly as more and more people start coming out, then either the sport adapts to them or they fall away. You know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah, and there's always that balance, right? Just in like any business model, there's a sort of balance from that original core user group into what it ultimately come, becomes into. That being said, I think where Xterra is now, and, and that's what, I, you know, as opposed to Spartan races, which I know very, very little about. Um, yeah. But for Xterra, I think what they have struck is a really good balance in terms of maintaining, you know, core user support in this in the form of not like passionate age groupers continual pro support um but while main but while catering it to a broader audience at large but also being very fiscally responsible and attempting to create a balance as opposed to realizing excuse me realizing like a lot of you know let's be honest iron man is not alone here a lot of the running scene the running companies um for instance tough mutter just filed for bankruptcy what two weeks ago or you know, day or three weeks ago. So you look at these things where people just go for acquisition, grab, 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 and it becomes you know all money, right? Like let's, I understand there's a business element, but when it becomes money, 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 then you lose that core group very quickly. Whereas Xterra has looked at a much more consistent, steady, smaller growth model. Look, look I relate to it because that's my own history and all of the things I've ever done, right? I, I never exploded. I never went from like, oh, in two years of training, I became a pro. Or like, musically, I've been playing music for damn near to almost 20 years now. So I guess in that sense, to bring it for that personal example into this, the business realm, I think you look at a company like Xterra that's been around for a little, you know, a decent amount of time now, what, of over 25 years, and they're building something slowly and consistently and attempting to match it with the different market trends that happen, but nothing like Wanda sports and Ironman where it's just like, Oh, well we need to make $150 million this year in profit. Mm -hmm. Right. Whereas is Xterra is owned and run by people who I go and speak to. And I'm like, I trust you. You're a great individual. I understand your problems. I certainly don't want to take them on, but I really can tell that you have the best interests of, me as a pro, me as a consumer, the average person, the average consumer of the sport, all of these people, like, I feel very comfortable with that leadership base, so, so to speak. Um, whereas in, in, in many other aspects of our triathlon community, I don't have that faith. And I think that's simply because the idea of, of growth, this idea of, like, catering has, has all of a sudden rapidly when everything has to go up as opposed to, you know, let's just a steady marginal hand and keep a, keep a good, you know, good firm grasp of the rudder might have dissipated. So mm -hmm. if that sort of answers your question, I think. 
Yeah, I think I can identify both with those the, both those tendencies. Like as a business person, you know, I I struggle with that a lot of times. Where it's like, you know, I I see a lot of business stories because that's I own two companies and that's this is what I do. But you see stories about you know the the narrative that's popular to push is like the overnight success, which I know is bullshit. But even at that, they'll say. You know, this person went from nothing to, uh, you know, seven, eight figure business in three years, which is extraordinarily fast um, versus, you know, looking at a company that says, hey, like we're growing 30, 40 percent year over year, which is good. Like there's nothing wrong with that. And if you do that over a long period of time, like you're going to be killing it eventually. But it's it's just like almost human tendency to be like, I want it now, especially like in our, the culture with phones and everything. Right. It's like, right. we want it right now. Exactly. And uh, so, yeah, I deal with that as well. So, I mean, it's good to know that at least in, in your opinion, because I obviously have never met these people, that the people in charge of extra have that longevity, long, you know, long point of view to say, you know, marginal gains over time build up to be something larger versus risking everything by trying to explode in two years well, or whatever. I also just simply think the personal element, and again, as, as somebody who's raced in the elite field, like that, the way that that is system is run for elites in comparison to, to WTC um, is just so much more conducive to like keeping people in it. Like, as soon as I got in there, I just felt a, a wonderful sense of, of kindness, not only from the staff, but from the people racing. And I've always been a fan of this, you know, perhaps, you know, uh, ideologue idea of, like, sort of gentlemanly racing, right? Like, I, I, I started my athletic career in rowing, which is, like, the most <laughs> aristocratic base good old boys sport you could think of what what about but, polo uh, polo right right <laughs> or, <laughs> i mean really if you want to get into it it's yachting right sailing if you're right. going to race sailing right then you've really yeah but in that sense rowing kind of continues with that long british aristocratic continuum so so i love the fact that like even in my like high school clubs there was people were very polite and like you raced and you, you you had your race and then afterwards you shook people's hands and you were kind right there's that like and and i and people bring this up in basketball football blah 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 all the normal traditional american sports all the time but but at the same time that's not like the the norm conversation you still talk about like them in a negative term and you run to beat them blah 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 blah. And it always seems superficial and it always struck me as superficial but when i went rowing it was so genuine it was very much part of the culture and so uh fast forward to now when I started doing Xterra, I like I you never I never really got that in the WTC scene, uh, like the pre rate the the pro briefings everybody's a little more kind of like to themselves don't, don't want to talk clam up a little bit, and then you go to the Xterra elite briefings and people are cracking jokes and like everybody's sort of like it's like it's like a high school reunion that there oh there happens to be a race the day after, and you know it, it just it caught me off guard immediately and then over the course of this year my you know this is my first year really racing consistently in this pro field like people have been so nice and everybody has been like 
doesn't matter if you beat them or you lose to them or whatever. But so that that sense has really hooked me into Xterra too on the personal front because, and I see you know not not only just in the pro field which obviously is like a much smaller community but the age group field at large. Even when I did these, I did three of them as an age grouper before I went pro and like same situation there. Like the the kindness was just much more uh, upfront and politeness than I could have imagined. It was it's it's often kind of like. First time you, you witness it, it's a little like off off putting. You're like, whoa, okay, are they actually genuine? And then it's like, well, oh yeah, yeah, they are. <laughs> why, why are you so nice to me? I don't understand. Why is it pretty cool? Yeah, like the you know, for instance, in 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 Victoria, it was my second pro race, and um, like I was clowning around with Josiah Middot, who like I a well established you know like multiple world champion in Xterra, like been doing it for oh god twenty years. Like I was probably you know, uh, in second grade, first grade, when he was, <laughs> like, getting into his first pro races in Xterra, and just him, like, talking to me like an equal and being nice, it's just like, wow, I never would have expected that, whereas, you know, and I'm not saying guys like Lionel are rude or anything, but you go to a WTC elite race and, like, try to chat up Lionel about, like, life, the universe, and, you know, he's stuck in it. Just, it's just different. It's a different culture. But yeah. I, I, I know, and like I say, it's it's not necessarily bad or worse, but it's just so I prefer the Xterra one over that. So, but all of those combined, I think, really were what makes um, the experience and the product from a business standpoint much more genuine. It's just it has it's it doesn't you know it suffers uh, in the overall marketing scheme of triathlon in general, but like, I think that'll change because it's such a good consistent product. So we'll, we'll see. We're going to have this conversation again in 10 years and see what's happened. But I mean, if you look at Dara's growth, really it's, it's, it's pretty damn good compared to what it was, you know, 10 years ago. So, Mm -hmm. and the expansion races in Europe and Asia are really going well because they're, they're done relatively consistently, but I digress, I digress. So, I could talk the business side and my, my political opinions on the sport for far too long. <laughs> I'm sure your audience does not want to hear. No, I mean, no, Mac it's all right. It's all right. right. I haven't had anybody on that, that raises Xterra. So, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's interesting to me, but it's like the culture is always interesting to me. Cause I like, so I grew up, I played soccer and like, like, I mean, community soccer, we couldn't afford like private clubs or anything. Um, third grade, fourth grade played softball and then got into running in middle school because, like, I like I always wanted to play midfield in soccer because I liked running up and down the field more than everybody else. <laughs> so I just took that idea and moved it into running. But I always noticed in running, yeah. cross country meet, and my my dad would always remark on this: just parents at a cross country meet are like the most polite people you've ever met. Like, it's right. not like it's not this like oh, I'm gonna beat you. I'm gonna like destroy you think it's like everybody like everybody you want to win but everybody is out there like support each other right and i noticed that too with triathlon it's just like same thing you go to a race hey you know where's this where's that i have people ask me stuff all the time and i'm like yeah it's over there like like people that have never this is their first race you know it's like okay i've been doing this triathlon for I, i can't 10 years now, 11 years now. 
Right. And somehow people know to ask me questions. I don't know if there's a sign on my head or what it is, but <laughs> but it's like I, I don't feel that way, and I don't think anybody else feels that way. Or it's like, no, like I'm racing like the elite amateur field. Like stay away from me. I'm you know special or whatever. It's like no, it's great. You're out. Hope you have a good time. So I mean, it's good to see like that kind of mentality is pervasive elsewhere besides just in like the circles you know I'm in. Yeah, I think, and I, and I think that's always. Let me put it this way: I think to 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 somewhat clarify, I think that's always there. It's just certain events in certain places tend to bring out different aspects of that. So yeah. you know, if you go to your local sprint try, I think that's one of the best experiences in the sport, right? For everybody involved, like elite to the first time racer, everybody's just super nice. Yeah. Right. That's that's uh, that's kind of from a community sense, the the sort of like, you know, perfect little thing, like little sphere. Um, I think that's that that premise somewhat shifts when we get into the larger, more competitive races where people feel there's things at stake. I mean, I think, you know, that when you look at when you start going to something like age group nationals or something where, where everybody's going and like has an invested interest in doing well, then then perhaps not saying that there's an aspect of maliciousness, but then the, the competitive vibe over supersedes the, the other, other vibes that are associated with the community. But I think that's not particularly surprising to people. Um, but yeah, I, but I, my, my one, and, and to finish up my extolling of Xterra's virtues as a sort of like proselyte for the Xterra cause, um, my evangelical Xterra mission here, uh, I, I, would, I would say that, and this, is, this isn't even just an Xterra thing. This is like all, like look at the boom in gravel, right? The boom in gravel in the cycling industry is just totally related to a pushback against roadie elitism and roadie culture at races which is which is it's it's much worse than triathlon but triathlon still has that elitism element in it and gravel and mountain bike are just winning the economic war because people are like yo these events still just deliver this nice experience and so i would say our off-road triathlon scene is very very much in line with that movement towards fun and happiness kind of for everybody and, and then dirt, I don't know, is there something magical in dirt that like as soon as you ride a bike off road that everybody's just like cooler and, and drinks more beer afterwards? I mean, the latter point is certainly true, <laughs> but um, I don't know. I, this is, I think just off road in general seems to bring out the best in people. So I don't know, maybe that's something to do with the in-tunedness of nature. I mean, I don't know. I'm not really a natural metaphysicist, so you can't, can't yeah. ask me that. No, it um, makes you wonder about like kind of the link between competitiveness and kindness. Um, you know, there, like there was an event I went to. Um, your uh, camera flipped around. You're right. I don't know if you can yeah. see it behind me. I've got my Beaver Trophy there in the very top. Um, I like it. So that was probably one of the most fun races I did. I flew out to Cleveland, and then my buddy and I. Drove from Cleveland to, I don't know, somewhere in Pennsylvania, is it? Anyway, it was like an hour outside of Cleveland. We had to go like 4 a.m. to get there. It's this like YMCA-sponsored race that had um, an elite amateur field with cash, which is kind of hard to find. And <laughs> just like 
that just the most fun race like they had little like placards for like the elite amateurs to put on their bikes and sure. afterwards there was like it wasn't you know you go to an ironman race you get like cheap pizza afterward afterwards to serve everybody right. which i understand they've got a lot of people to feed but this was like like you they went down to the street to like Bob's barbecue and got like ribs and they had, and everybody was just super nice. And then they're like, there was like an award for people that traveled the farthest to get there, which I won. Cause I was from Missouri all the way in <laughs> nowhere in Pennsylvania. Right. right. But it was just, it, yeah, everybody was just like out there having fun. Like men and men, the men and women started together um, for that elite amateur wave. So that was kind of like different. And we're all swimming together because in, in the water, you're the same speed. Anyway, so I'm thinking about, like, competitiveness and uh, and kindness. And it's like, I think when, the like you said, when the stakes are lower, like in a community event like that, the damn try, um, it's easier just to be like, we're out here having fun. Like, we're competing. We're trying. But, like, even if I have the worst day of the world – Okay, they're like there's another day, but like a national championship, well, the stakes are raised, and now it's there's only one a year, and everybody comes together and everybody trains all year for this one thing. Um, well, so I, in the case of Ironman events, they're they're just so long, right? So you only right. have three bullets in the chamber, and you're gonna shoot them on these three days, and that's 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 it, man. Like yeah. I. So there's there's a much more of a like don't mess with me like this is this is me blah blah blah, um, whereas like right you know you come over and race mountain bikes and stuff like you know there's a ton of races people yeah. race all the time so it's yeah yeah I mean there's there's I think that's the competitiveness factor is a link I don't think it's the entire situation mm-hmm. but um, well also I mean look 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 at it from this standpoint like. Especially in Ironman, where we're seeing all of these races go to places like, you know, what is it, Des Moines, and I. It's just like, okay, great, like very flat races that are just not, you know, I, you can. I knew, I'm sure people argue with me. It's like, well, there's these turns and this, that, and it's, the, ultimately the course is is sterile. Whereas when you come race a course that's dynamic, that's challenging. Everybody just mostly feels good to get through the course. I'll tell you, like, you go race uh, Xterra, Utah. And you're going to climb 3,900 feet, 3,900 feet, you're like literally nonstop climbing for an hour and like 10 minutes for like the top guys. Everybody's happy just to live. Like nobody died today. Great. Like, you know, I didn't completely pass out in, in exhaustion when I finally just finished the mountain bike and then realized I had to, oh, right, run up 1,300 feet over a 10K. Oh, yeah, and it's also all over giant chunky rocks. Like, everybody's getting through that just being like, oh, my God, I got through it sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. the, I, again, like, I guess to go back to our point a few minutes ago, like, the dynamicism, of course, is very interrelated to the overall experience. I mean, I did – look, at look, look, to, I, I raced mountain bikes some. Uh, the the uh, epic ride series of, like, the Whiskey 50, Carson City Off-Road – the Oz trails, like these are the most, some of the most popular events in cycling in this country. And it's like the turnout for the whiskey 50 in Prescott, Arizona is 
massive, like sell out massive thousands of people out having fun on trails. And like, you know, there's grumbling, like, oh, there's not enough room for people, blah, 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 blah. But like, overall, the vibe is just, in, it's, it's like a party where a race broke out. And from the top, very tippy top to those t- like great athletes to everybody at the back who did it on a fat bike and had nine beers in the middle of the ride, like every, you know, that product is really popular. Whereas, you know, you look at like a road race, they're just dying. Like road cycling is dying. I mean, it, the tour, like the two ones we have down in Tucson, these big races with like pro fields, one of them's dried up and the other one's attendance is down to like 200 people. It's like, come on. Well, obviously you're missing the bus here. Whereas this like, you know, mountain bike race in Prescott is, is garnering what seven times eight times your turnout it's mm-hmm. it's i think the va- the 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 veritable wins are are very much changing here and i think xterra is going to be on the uh, favorable side of of this winds is blowing and cycling and really blowing and running as well that spartan races have caught on to and i you know i don't think i don't think triathlons immune uh, immune from this so i don't know i've at least bet on xterra and i'm mm-hmm. i have gave my case that I think other people should come over. One, because it's freaking fun. <laughs> and two, it's challenging as all hell. And three, I think ultimately your overall satisfaction with the community on it will be better than anything else you've tried. But again, I suppose, you know, that's just my my pitch for the sport. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think about it from like a product standpoint. Like what – so triathlon is composed primarily of – middle-aged men with disposable income right so what i mean what are they after they're after a few things trying to recapture some of that like essence of youth and and vitality of racing they're after some sense of meaning because they're hitting that midlife crisis and they're like what what do i do now (laughs) um some of it's I've got this money and I need to stay in shape. So I might as well do this thing. It's but, the new golf. But, right. But, but ultimately it's like, you want to have fun if you're going to participate long-term. Right. So if you're not doing that, then like you're going to drop off. So I think that's probably what's happening with cycling where it's like, like if they're neutering the courses like Iron Man is, then that sense of adventure, that sense of fun, where if you don't have a good day, you still had a good time. You don't have that good time anymore. You're just not going to retain people. And cycling's hemorrhaging. I mean, the, the crit system, or sorry, the crit system, the cat system is ultimately slowly eating away the entire principle. I understand why it's there. It makes complete sense. I mean, you wouldn't ask me to redesign it. I can't. But ultimately... You know, there's all these like I don't know if you're on like a lot on Instagram, but like Cat Three memes and these like meme pages about Cat Three right racers. It's just they're hysterical because they're so true. And the thing is, you like you know blast your way up to Cat Three, and then you're stuck because of the like serious performance jump, physical performance jump that's required to go race beyond that. But then you're seeing just this like tangible loss of fun yet people sort of have this like sunk cost fallacy about it right Mm -hmm. and so at least when you get to and this is why gravel's exploding right now and mountain biking is booming amongst men and women amongst a lot of economic backgrounds right um 
because of the inclusiveness and the opportunity to go have fun. I mean, every, and I'll go back to my original point. Like every time you ride a trail, it's different. I live on Papago Park here in Phoenix. So if anybody knows like Ironman, Arizona, they've run through here, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I've ridden probably, and this is a genuine conservative estimate. I've probably put in 1400 miles, 12 to 1400 miles in this park. Right. And this is, Oh, I don't know. Let's see from the lake up to, you know, it's, it's maybe three and a half, three miles long by mile wide. And there's about, and I can get in 90 minute ride on single track mostly with a couple features that are interesting, blah, blah, blah. It's not, yeah, it's not super techie, but I literally, I can, I have 300 feet of pavement to bike and then I'm there. So I, I, I don't like to drive my car to go ride. Like, come on. Um, I have to sometimes, but I like this. But anyways, my point is like every one of those trails changes. And once you start becoming really in tune with that, like it makes every day out there different. Like I've had days out there where I just was like flying. I was like ripping over stuff. And I'm like, oh, whoa. Like my average speed for this ride was like 12.6, whereas like normally it's like 11. Whew. Like the ground is different. And then, you know, we get to the end of summer there hasn't been a lot of rain and then a few monsoons and things are blown out and like the corners suck and then they get some rain and everything changes and like you know all of those aspects of the ride ultimately put into a a intrinsic like you know kind of subversive element in you to get in into that world whereas when i just go ride roads it's just like okay they're, they're, you know it's still paved tarmac's you know yep yep it's hard bike rolls over it and this is ignoring the car factor too. So, right. um, you know, and I think gravel has that to an advantage too. It opens up possibilities. It's a little different. So I think, I think that's all connecting to the fun element. And I think now we're, our, you know, our, let's, you know, what was USA triathlon used to say a couple of years ago, the average salary of, of a USA team member is $112,000, $114,000. Right. So I think, you know, now that demographic, which is kind of the last ones to like throw the proverbial brick through the like window of revolution here are starting to realize like, whoa, gravel bikes are a thing. And like, oh, there's other elements to this. And so as that faction weaves its way over, I think sports like Xterra and mountain biking are really there and and are going to take off in a similar fashion to like what they kind of had that micro boom in the 90s with Bond Trager and Tomac. Um, sort of giving this idea like, yo, you can do a lot of cool stuff out here. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it becomes more like man versus nature, you know, that very like primal thing as opposed to, to the you know, man versus man com- competitive element. So, yeah, there's a lot of factors, but I think like my own history of riding like the same trails a billion times and not hating them is a really good example of like, wow, there's still fun out there. Uh, and, they, you know, I mean, look, I've ridden these, like I said, maybe 1,400 miles. And, like, this summer I crashed twice on them because the corners were super blown out. And I didn't even expect them to be blown out. And so I leaned in super hard on something. And the next thing you know, it's like, well, that's a lot of blood. <laughs> like, you know, so so there's that aspect, too. But um, anyways, I, I <laughs> that's, that's, again, we're going to get into the, the political machinations here. But um, <laughs> that's okay. I mean, that's, that's kind of what I do. I get, get down a rabbit hole. Uh, before we run out of time, I do want to ask you about life. Sure. Uh, life as a bass player. Um, yeah. In part because you're doing two 
very time intensive things because you're not you're not just like like a composition student where oh that's time intensive in its in and of itself in writing things but like you play and perform so which if you don't practice you're gonna lose your chops so it's like you know how do you fit in all the time to both be a pro and perform it's like the six million dollar question right Right. um uh a lot of times i don't (laughs) is that the horrible answer you know i play the violin so i have to give you a little bit of shit um is it because you're a bass player so you just have like you know a couple like easy rhythms and you don't have to worry too hard I mean, you know, it's very fair shit giving to, to be honest. Um, I think I, you know, I, I, if any of God, God help me if any of my uh, colleagues or professor hears this, but yeah, I mean, let's be honest. That's a part of it. Like as a bass yeah. player, if you're confident and you know what you're doing and you, you practiced a lot originally, like there's no orchestra like in the world. You can't just pretty much go sit in and be like pretty much prepared for and with minimal practice be, be good on, you know, and all the hard licks, Strauss design, Heldenleben, you know, Beethoven 9, all the... Yeah, I've practiced them because they're audition licks. So, like, I know yeah. all the licks. I mean, if, if shit is really awkward, um, you know, that's a different story. But, you know, for instance, uh, tomorrow we have a concert. We're doing Beethoven 6th Symphony. It's like, man, I've played that, like, four times. Like, yeah, I've, I, could, I can sing the violin part while I play my bass part, right? Yeah. Like, you know, I what's happening like realistically like i think it's true for most competent classical musicians you could just walk in and perform it and a lot of times i've done gigs where i get hired and then i play an hour and a half to two hour rehearsal and then just play the whole thing that night and mm. you know it's good it's, it's it's proper it's right right so um like the messiah you know when christmas yeah. time comes I yeah, it's it's like people are like, wow, you guys must be rehearsing so much, and you just tell the poor audience member like, yeah, tons of rehearsal, man. Yeah. It's like, dude, showed up this afternoon, and I've played this probably 130 times in the last like four years. So no, yeah, it's just like listening, like listening um, to the conductor. What kind of nuance does he want from it? And then putting, you know, or like Boeing, like we, well, we play. Half the time you don't even listen to them, right? Because if it's just a local, like, I mean, you know, to be honest, if it, unless it's like a large symphony, like the Phoenix Symphony, which right. like when you work with Phoenix, Symphony, you you know, you do everything your principal tells you, and you just follow everybody. But that's part of being a great musician is you just follow whatever the crew is, right? Like right. whatever that, even that local like church gig, you just follow everybody else. Like if everybody else is playing super vibrato garbage, whatever, like all right, I guess that's what we're doing. This is what yeah, this is what we're doing now. Right. So yeah. in that case, you just get called back. Um, <laughs> so it's it's just you know again it's simple logic really. Um, but to answer your question, I, you know I, I think a lot of my practice in bass has always been from a very highly technical standpoint. My professor here is a um, arguably I think you could put him if even if you hate him, you put him in the top three best bass double bass players in the world. Uh, he he's you know, plays violin concertos on bass. He's like the only guy in the world who makes a living being a solo bass player, which is crazy. He just really likes it nice and warm. He's from, from Romania. So, okay. you know, once the Iron Curtain fell, he came over here and, you know, mm-hmm. shows no desire to go back to cold Eastern Europe. <laughs> um, 
Mix it here. What can I say? I like it here too. Um, yeah. So yeah, like highly technical focus and train. It's just very similar to triathlon training. It's like I, you know, I see so many people rack up junkyards in the pool because they think it helps. Junkyards on the bike or junkyards, junk miles on the bike. Blah blah blah. Like you know, great. I know tons of people who practice six hours a day, and I, I get more gigs than them. And it's like, well, why? Well, there's a lot of aspects to this. Just like triathlon, there's a lot of aspects. So good good fundamental foundations um, and just being aware, like thinking about what you're doing uh, will get you a lot further than just like mindlessly sitting in a room. Now, it does help that I play bass, you know. Same same with like, you know, bassoon players in the wind section, right? Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you're a flute girl, you're a dime a dozen, right? Every, every institution in the country has, you know, 200 flute applicants every year for their doctoral program yeah. whereas if you play you know walrus of a double bass yeah you're statistically in a lot much better situation than yeah or if you play else. like the harp you're like oh, you're like five right. people to play the harp i i i always say if, if i had to do it all over again i'd pick a different instrument i would do organ okay. or harp organ organ is very cool nobody plays organ Right, it's just like piano players. Like, yeah, dime a dozen, but actually playing organ. Whoa, now you've got some weird special interest that supersedes everything. And and organ players find work like crazy. I also think it's just a cool instrument. There's only two organ builders in the entire United States, and yeah. like, what a cool thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, to be honest, like, it's it's just kind of a mess a lot of the time in terms of what I'm doing. And but I've been playing so long now. At a certain point, like most of the music that I have to deal with, I can, it's pretty much under the control, very much. Right. It's within, it's within your proficiency. It's not like, no, we're going to step like, yeah. Um, uh, why did I just forget his name? Wagner. Like the first time I played a Wagner piece, I was out of my mind with just all the accidentals just coming at you super fast. I was like, what is happening right now? Uh, and I'm sure I didn't even nail half of it uh, when we got to perform, but so it, but it, you know, if I had practice, 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 I get to that point. It's like, I played Wagner. I can play it proficiently. Like, I'm not going to worry about, you know, something in a much like, like we do it for a Christmas concert where it's almost like pops where it's like, right. everything's quarter notes, half notes. You're just like, I don't need to practice this. We'll just show up. It'll be fine. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, at a certain point, you know, and I relate music as you probably like. I, I I consider music not even a, at least for like music players, like we're not really, we don't, we're not artists. We're just we're tradesmen. Ultimately, right. music school isn't in a college academic sense. I mean, it is in, in in the academic side, but like what people think of as musicians, it's like, man, we're just tradesmen. Ultimately, at the end of the day, I'm just providing a product that is similar skilled labor to that of any plumber or electrician. Now, this pisses off my colleagues quite quite a lot, but I, <laughs> I, I have a much more pragmatic analysis of what we do, which is simply play the notes on the page like machines. If we do a good job, we're a good machine who deserves nice rewards. If we do a bad job, we're a poor machine who gets crap. So... In that sense, I think it helps, especially for, for many people who, you know, like in the triathlon world who aren't musicians, right? Like what I sort of just like, you know, music is a trade sort of makes sense at that point, right? So, yeah, um, yeah, I think that's a large part of it. Um, 
but yeah, I, I've had a long, it was harder in my undergrad. I, I, I practiced a lot more um, and had a lot further gap to make up. Um, and now it's sort of, you know, in a different, different realm. You're like polishing off things as opposed to like just getting in the massive amounts of volume. But um, in that sense, it does differ than try. But um, yeah, I, I guess the answer to your question is I don't know, but I sort of try to take it day by day in terms of priorities. Um, yeah. You know, like this week, this weekend's crazy. I have a six, six and a half hour, six hour recording session on Sunday. So it's like I've done my two long rides already this week, this morning and yesterday. So that's kind of the nice thing, but um, yeah, there's there's always some weirdness, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and musicians' schedules are already weird, so <laughs> yeah, mine's extra weird. I mean, this leads to my like I train mostly by myself. I think more athletes should be uh, willing to seize that, especially for swimming. I, I sense this vein and current amongst my athletes I coach and other people I know, like that they don't want to swim by themselves. There's nothing mm. to be afraid. I if you don't want to swim by yourself. Well, good, yeah, good. I mean, like, but some a lot of people. No, no, no. I don't. I get it. I get it. I'm just saying, like, right. it's just funny because I'm, I'm more like, because I've had some of the guys that I race with locally. You know, the basically the top five of us here in town, Kansas City. We, we all know each other. We've been racing together for eight, ten years now, and mm-hmm. several of them been like, hey, you know, like we should get together and train. And I'm like. Man, I'm self-employed. Like I've done training by the time you get off work. I don't want to wait till seven in the evening. Like I could right. get it done. To, so I'm just like, oh, let me do my or, own thing. Wake up at or wake up at four thirty in the morning if I don't have to. You know. Yeah. There is this cult. There is this, and, and as we all sort of know it, but nobody really wants to say it. We always like triathlon has to have this like weird cult fetish of like extra pain on top of the pain. It's like, oh, not only do I as a pro have to like train an ungodly sum of hours and put my body through the you know physical like limits of its abilities but i'm gonna do it at four in the morning because that's what we do that's what we just gotta do it at four in the morning and it's like it's really okay you got it chief whatever you want you know so <laughs> there's that weird vein that i just i don't ascribe to and, and i think i asked maybe it has to do with my upbringing maybe it has to do with my own like personal history but i i, I don't know at the same time i think it's just a just calm down you gotta enjoy your life a little bit you can't just be puritanical smashing your face into a you know training wall all the time so yeah, yeah i think that one that one's always funny to me it's like pros who wake up it's like you can't, man i know you don't do anything why do you have like it before i know right. you're not doing it I'd be like, I'm not turning the alarm clock on. I'm just, I'll get up when I get up and then start the day if that's all I'm doing. Right, right. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. So, I mean, the same thing with like group rides and things. Like, I don't really group ride. I mean, I, I could justify it on a training front because, like, oh, well, I don't race draft legal. So, when I'm racing, I'm by myself. But, you know, I think a lot of it's just also, like, I don't want to go and, like, have a schedule with some other people. And on top of that, like, a lot of time, a lot of times, I have a very late Friday or Saturday night if I have a gig. And by the time I get home, for, like, like it's funny because, you know, if I work something like the Phoenix Symphony or Arizona Broadway Theater, then my, like, the overall hours I'll be gone from the house might be six to eight hours, but it's all at night and or in the evening, right? Like, so, you know. If I leave at four and get back at 10, that's six hours, right? So by the time I get home, then it's like, well, I'm going to 
dink around a little bit before I go to bed. And the next thing you know, it's like, oh, it's 11.30 or something or 11. It's like, well, I'm not waking up at 6 for that group ride because I have half a brain and realize that, it, you know, if you just get tired and do stuff, it's, you don't get consistent training. So, and I think to bring it all back to that point, because I know, I know, um, you know, my, my coach, Tim Crowley, has been like a constant. I've had the same coach for eight years now pretty much and i trust him with everything and i I'm just great guy in every sense of the word um and i you know his credential list is endless i mean he's he's been around for forever coached the olympic team in 08 um for instance but it's just all about consistency which sometimes i think is so overlooked in our desire to like find a new aero device or find a new training mm-hmm. toy or get in these massive workouts like, oh, my athletes this week trained 20, 30 hours, and they've had four weeks at 30 hours. And then it's like, oh, wow, by the time race season came around, they're all broken hugs, yep. right? It's like, well, what did that accomplish? Very little. But the goal is ultimately consistency. So I think if, if any, like the one, it's such a trite word thrown around so often. But I mean like a macro sense consistency. And like my own playing as a musician has been like just stupid consistent for many years. It's like, oh, I don't practice a ton. I don't practice like nothing and blah, 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 blah. And I study progress somewhere. Same with like training. It's like, yes, I don't, I don't get anywhere near the hours like the big, some of the big guys do. But God damn it, do I stay nice on this little incline right mm-hmm. my angle of incline is like a one per one degree or two degrees right whereas mm-hmm. people want it to be like 45 and it's like well maybe the 45 one works sometimes but i'd rather put all of my money on the nice steady approach you know it's 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 just it's like betting on horses you, i'm betting on them to place right i'm gonna bet on the horse with the best odds to place right hey great so i can go and <laughs> Every time, all races, I'm a winner, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? I'm not going to win more than 10 cents on that bet, but I'm a winner. Like, you know, so in that sense, like quite practically, it's, it's a stupid analogy, but like in your own like life progression as a musician, as an athlete, it's like that's been my kind of MO. Mm-hmm. And it weirds people out sometimes. It confuses people, but it's it's worked for me. I, I feel like if you're doing the thing that nobody else is doing, you're probably doing the right thing. That's been my MO is like, <laughs> if everybody's going right, I'm going left. And that's worked out right. pretty well for me. So it, it's kind of a similar yeah. vein where everybody wants that like instant success. You're like, no, that's cool. Like I'll just take, like I'll pick up my one rock today and I'll pick up another rock tomorrow and I'll have right. my, you know, right. I'll have enough stones to build a house eventually. Yeah. It's, and it's in, on a more practical front. I think we see that in the current, like, uh, try industry in terms of the products and goods being pumped out there. I, you know, they're all hitting that vein of like, right now you can get 3% on your VO2 if you do this. And you're like, oh God, here we go again. It's yeah. like, you know, everything everything that's old is new again. And so it's it's that I, I've been around, it's funny, I'm, you know, I'm not that old, but I've, I've been doing triathlon now for um, almost like pretty much almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. So it's funny because you start seeing the same things. It's like, oh, this is really hot in 2011 and then just blew up. And like, oh, now it's coming back, right? Like, yeah. It's like it, it's – and with Tim, who's been in it for like 35 or just 30 years now, right? Like mm-hmm. like Tim Race, Dave Scott, and Mark Allen, mm-hmm. right? So it's just great to see that. And you just, just talk about the things that 
it's like this makes no sense like we've seen this before like the trends just come back and it's just it's very funny it's very funny on like on a more materialistic note yeah like everything is, is new under the sun it's like come on guys we were doing this people thought about this 30 years ago we all agreed it was a stupid idea so we put it away oh look it's back you know i could sit here and start naming things but that's probably not good for either of our uh, potential sponsorship <laughs> at any given moment yeah no worries um we're a little over time but i'm gonna ask anyway we kind of been dancing around this uh our whole conversation but there so there's a question last season i asked everybody about recovery food um this year i'm calling them seasons but years this year uh, i'm asking everybody what do you think the purpose of sport is what do you think the purpose of sport is wow um i'll give you a historical answer that i somewhat agree to the, the the hope that we don't go kill each other. I mean, you know, what was the point of medieval tournaments, right? To, to essentially right. give people an outlet for not, you know, going off and killing each other. And we're ultimately horrible, violent human beings. So I don't know. I think that's it on a practical answer. I mean, in terms of our modern world, of course, we'd like to think we're so much more nuanced beyond that. But mm-hmm. I think, I don't think we're any better than the Romans or the, or the, or Charlemagne's empire. Yeah. Are we? I don't, I mean, I don't, so so perhaps that's not the answer you're looking for it's a little bit more vicious i'm not looking for an answer i'm just looking (laughs) to have an answer i'm sure it's different than the rest of the rest of your uh, respondents um no i do genuinely believe uh, that that ultimately the point of sport is for all of us is just to quell some sort of animalistic behavior that we have i mean i'll be honest i do a lot of workouts and i do two a days because it makes me feel good Right. I mean, I think we're all sort of addicted to exercise and like that's a whole nother can of worms. But um, there's something raw about it. Right. Sports kind of keep us all in check, keep those like natural instincts sort of, you know, quelled. Um, I don't it, it's it's kind of what we've agreed is the more civilized approach to the alternative, which is mm-hmm. which is much more rough. Sean, I mean, Helmut von Moltke. uh kind of the the german architect of the world war one battle plans you know i'm a big fan of history if you haven't gathered um you know they, that was a whole school of thought there that like you know without war like man's just bad like he just can't do good things like it's the crucible that makes men do insane things and um you know i i won't go so far as to to agree with the german architects of that ideology but Ultimately, I think sport takes on a little tiny bit of that crucible, right? Like through the crucible of like doing these hard things, triathlon, cycling, handball, whatever it, it is, right? Like you name the sport, that is in of itself this little battle, right? This like, you know, much more uh, civilized mm-hmm. battle. But, but by doing that battle, we gain something about ourselves about our sense of duty, about our sense of belonging, about our ability of resilience, of grit, and, you know, to go out and finish a triathlon is always a success. Because, you know, not that it's necessarily like, oh, it's what an empowering journey I did this, but no, but it's the fact that you did the journey at all and got through to the end, that's the crucible, right? Like you, you got through the heat. Um, so yeah, so to, so to bring it back together, I think sport is very, is, is the, you know, civilized people answer to war and, and, and that desire, these animalistic instincts in us have to be quelled somewhere. And so we put them there. So it's, it's very much a function of biology, I suppose, if you were to believe that it's, that's an element of biology, but 
yeah, I don't know. So that's my answer. I think it's 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 very uh, animalistic. It's an intrinsic thing. But um, yeah, we'll see. Let me know if somebody else comes up with such a. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the years just get going. Yeah, the years just oh, get right. going. So I've got a whole year's worth of people to ask this question. So we'll have to see what everybody else comes up with this year. My like the answers about the food last year was always interesting because it was like. You get a divergence of two answers. You get people say, like, uh, almost PC answer, like, I like salad or something. And then the majority of people would be like, like, uh, so I'd ask, what's a recovery food? If you can only choose one recovery food for the rest of your life, what do you choose? And most people would be like, beer, pizza, ice cream, like, something that makes them feel good rather than necessarily fuels their body. So it is like, this is a little more esoteric of a question. Um, but well, I'm I am it... and a and a man who listens to a copious amount of audiobooks. So esoteric, <laughs> just ah ah. I do. I literally <laughs> two hours that we're just gonna essentially argue about the entire like premise of theater and things. So I I mean you know come on. You threw you threw me a great bone. I mean we can hey. have a two hour discussion on this. So well, yeah, I, we can keep going. But I like I said we're we're probably we're over time here. Um, so I'll have to have you on another time. Um, Evan, sure. if, if, if people want to find you, um, where can they kind of find you, see what you're doing? See sure. What the are, how that... I post, post somewhat often on my Instagram. It's just Evan Party. Um, if you want to get in contact with me, I'm on Facebook. I also have a website, Evan Party Triathlon. Um, I'm also my – I'm sponsored this year by uh, Speedhound, which is a kind of a new – grassroots endurance sports company out of california run by a great guy trying to get uh triathlon products to people at a much fairer price uh kind of cutting out some of the middleman and so uh some great things coming out of that um company is that i'm associated with hopefully in this next year so uh keep an eye out for that as well that's that's some ongoing uh interesting projects coming out from them but um yeah i think that, that's, that's about it thanks for spending right. some time with me evan yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on.